Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. It's good to see you all today and to worship with you. Hope you had a good week and some time of uh, relaxing, time of rest. We'd like to invite you now this morning to inv- uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. This morning we will look at Philippians Philippians chapter 3. And verse 9. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9 will be uh, the focus of the sermon this morning. I would like to begin the reading in verse uh, 2, and we'll read all the way through verse 11. Before we hear God's word, if you would, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Please pray with me. Our Father... And our God, O Lord, we praise you and we are in awe at your awesome majesty, your awesome wonder and wisdom that is revealed in all of creation. For the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above declares your handiwork and day to day pours out speech. Father, we pray that you would remind us of the glory of your Son that is revealed in creation and that he is the word of God who is through whom all things have been made and by whom all things are upheld. And yet as beautiful as your creation is, O Lord, we are in awe at the revelation of your abundant mercy revealed in the death and resurrection of your Son. We thank you, Father, for the gospel. We thank you for the infinite wisdom that is revealed in the gospel. And we pray as the gospel goes out this morning that your people would be changed by it, that lost sinners would be converted and would come to know faith in Jesus Christ and would experience forgiveness of sins and acceptance with God. Father, do this good work in, in your people to the praise of your glorious grace. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. Beloved, this is uh, the word of God. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Now this verse is, of course, a continuation of verse 8. I count everything as loss in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Verse 9. So it might seem strange to preach 
on verses 7 through 8 as we did last week, and then in another sermon preach on verse 9 by itself, since the two uh, verses, the three verses are connected. Uh, But I hope to show that this, and what we'll be doing in the next couple of weeks as well, I hope to show that this is a somewhat legitimate move. Verse 9, 10, and 11 can be understood as further explaining what it means in verse 8 to gain Christ. What does it mean to gain Christ? And what actually do we gain? What are some of the benefits that we gain by believing in Christ and trusting in him? Well, this is, hopefully this will be answered in the next, uh, today in the next couple of weeks. Verse 9, you are justified. That is what we are looking at today. Gaining Christ by faith means you are justified. You have justification. That is a benefit. Verse 10, you are sanctified. And you continue to be sanctified through your whole life. That is another benefit. And finally, you will be glorified at the resurrection. Verse 11, he mentions the resurrection from the dead. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Those are benefits that flow to you from Christ, that you gain in Christ. And so this is what we will be looking at for the next couple of weeks. And I hope you can understand now why this is a legitimate move. Now think of it in this way. If a poor peasant girl marries a rich prince, when they get married, she is united to him. That is what we will be looking at, is our thinking about today and the next couple of weeks, our union with Christ, these benefits that flow from being united to Christ. Well, this peasant girl marries a rich prince. She's united to him. She's now bonded to him. And because of this union she has with the prince, she inherits everything that he had and has as the prince. She obtains benefits from that union with him. Those benefits in that hypothetical situation would include adoption into the royal family. She is now a princess. She inherits a land. She inherits the riches of the kingdom, among other things. These are the benefits that this woman enjoys by virtue of her marriage to the rich prince, by virtue of her marriage union with him. This is how we can think about what it means to be a Christian, man or woman. We come into possession as Christians of salvific benefits by virtue of our union with Christ because we are now united to the prince of princes, an everlasting prince. We have in possession now everything that he has because of that union. That union is in view here when Paul talks about gaining Christ. In verse 9, he talks about being found in him. That's a reference to our union with Christ. And then when he talks about having faith in Christ again in verse 9, that is again a reference to our union with Christ that is appropriated by faith. Verse verse 9 then deals with the benefit of justification. That's what we were looking at uh, this morning. What flows from our union with Christ by faith. That which comes through faith in Christ. This is one of the benefits that believers have in Christ. Verse 9 begins with Paul looking towards the future. He says, that I might be found in him. Now, some of you young kids who are here uh, this morning, some of you may like to play hide and seek, or maybe you can remember the time when you were at an age when you liked to play hide and seek. And you get into your hiding place and you're thinking, he will never find me here. 
he's going to be so surprised when he does find me here. You're talking about being found. What are you thinking about there? You're thinking about the future. Being found sometime in the future. So too Paul. He's thinking about the future. Being found in the future. To be found in him. Well, when will Paul be found? Well, he's, pri- he's primarily looking toward the last day when Jesus returns. He mentions this explicitly in verse 11, the resurrection of the dead. When Jesus comes again, that will inaugurate its great resurrection from the dead. That is when believers will go to be with Christ in resurrected, glorified bodies. That is something we'll look at when we um, approach verse 11. To be found in Christ in the last day means to stand before God dressed in Christ's righteousness. He's thinking about the last day, being found in him. What will that be like for us as believers? We will be dressed in Christ's righteousness. To be found in him. When? On the last day, the day of the Lord. Now to be found by who? We'll be found by God. So gaining Christ by faith means that on the day of resurrection... God will not find you dressed in your own righteousness. That is not how he will find you. He will not find you in your own filthy, unholy righteousness, which is what we looked at last time, your own works of the law. He will find you, rather, robed with Christ's perfect righteousness. That is how he will find you. His perfect obedience will completely overshadow your imperfect righteousness, your sins, your unrighteousness. Christ's righteousness will overshadow that completely. And therefore, you will be found not in your own works, but in him. Whatever gain that you thought you had, well, that is not what God will find. He will find Christ. This is what it means to be found in him. God will judge us in other words, based on what his son has done for you, not on what you have done. His, Christ's righteousness, is credited to our account because by faith we are in him and we will be found in him on the last day. Now knowing this, because this is a reality for believers that we are in Christ, Paul can say with conviction For example, in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because you're not found in your own righteousness, you're found in Christ. And therefore there is no condemnation. That is what justification has to to deal with, and we'll look at that more as we go along. Having gained Christ by faith on the last day, you will be found by God in him, in his Son. Thus, on the last day, you will be publicly vindicated. You will be publicly justified. Something that you don't, the public nature, you don't have yet. The world condemns you. The world speaks ill of you, speaks evil against you. They point their finger at you. And so, in part, our vindication, our justification as those in Christ is somewhat hidden now, but then it will be publicly revealed. We will be then publicly vindicated and justified before all of heaven and earth. Now that is future. Being found in him is something that will happen in the future, but there is a present aspect to this as well. If we go back to the passage that we quoted from Romans, 
What does Paul say there? He says, there is now, presently, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Meaning that the moment that you are given faith, the moment you embrace Christ by faith in the gospel, you are right then and there and forever justified. That is when that took place. When you believed, you may not know what that exact moment is. Maybe you do. But if you have faith, you are now justified. There is now presently no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, what is justification? Now, our Westminster Larger Catechism and Westminster Shorter Catechism propose that question. They answer it very well. We'll try to summarize it here. This is from Scripture, of course. What is justification? It is being declared by God to be righteous and innocent. If if you want to remember the main parts of justification, it's that. That you are declared by God to be righteous and innocent. Not because of anything you have done or anything in you, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ imputed to you and received by faith alone. It's not because of anything you have done, not because of anything that God found in you that compelled him to justify you. It's only because of what Christ has done for you and because you are found in him. You are innocent. You are declared righteous in God's eyes because of what Christ has done. The Catechism defines the benefit of justification as an act. Why? Because justification is a judicial verdict. It's like a judge pronouncing a verdict in a courtroom. The judge doesn't make the person innocent. If he declares that the person is innocent, he doesn't make them innocent. He simply declares it to the courtroom based on the evidence that that person is innocent and should be uh, freed. But what is the evidence in our case? Well, the evidence, friends, is the death of Christ. His perfect obedience, which culminated in his death. That is why we are declared innocent. And so we see here how Paul is looking to that future aspect of our justification, being found in him. But there's also a present aspect to this that is in view here. Something we have presently that can never be taken away. Not having a righteousness of my own, but having presently. You possess presently the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that comes through faith in Christ. Now, this is significant for us, friends, because we all, all Christians, here at Providence and elsewhere, and in every generation, all Christians, we all, by virtue of our union with Christ, are equally justified. All of us, every single one of us who believe in Christ to have faith is justified. No one is more innocent than another. No one is less innocent than another. No one is more accounted as righteous than another. No one is less accounted as righteous than another. And so the 15-year-old who has faith in Christ is no more and no less justified than the 65-year-old who has faith in Christ. We are all Equally justified, declared innocent, declared righteous by God. This is, this is how God looks upon us. 
He considers all of you innocent, all of you righteous. The God of the universe looks upon you and says that. That's the verdict. And it's for everyone. That renders, this is the righteousness from God that we have through faith in Christ. It is this righteousness from God that renders us righteous in God's sight. Now what is righteousness? Well, righteousness is conformity to a standard. What is the standard in this verse? What is the standard in this system? It's God's law. It's the Ten Commandments that we just read. The essence of the Ten Commandments is God's law. That is the righteousness that is is in view, or the standard that's in view that defines that righteousness. And so we could say then, based on scriptural teaching, that God is righteous. He's perfectly righteous. His law is a revelation of his perfect righteousness. The law, as we've read this morning and the other summary, love the Lord your God with your whole being, love your neighbor as yourself, that is a revelation of God's perfect righteousness. Now for sinful man then, we, with scripture, we are right to say that none are righteous. When you think about who is righteous, and you look out into the world, none are righteous. That's the verdict that Scripture gives on all people apart from faith in Christ, that none are righteous, no one does good. We are all unrighteous because we break God's law at all points. Now think about this. If we are unrighteous, if we are by nature unholy, If the best we can offer, as we looked at last week, the very best that we can offer is, if that is garbage, I consider all things as garbage compared to knowing Christ. That's what we looked at last time. If it's as garbage, filthy rags, and therefore loss, how can this holy God, who is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, how can he allow and admit unrighteous sinners into his presence? How is that possible? How can a holy God, in him is light, there is no darkness at all, let people who are in love with the darkness into his presence, into loving fellowship with him? How is that even possible? His infinite and eternal holiness cannot have loving fellowship with unrighteousness. So then, how is one accepted by God? Well, the Judaizers uh, from the previous verses, and really all those who are outside of Christ, they would answer that question this way. We can appear before God and be accepted by having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law. That's how they answer that question. And that's how everyone must answer that question who are outside of Christ, who do not believe in Christ. They must believe that they can stand before God dressed in their own righteousness, having a righteousness of their own that comes from the law. This is how all men must think who, are, who do not have faith in Christ. Now, of course, that thought system, that belief system, works its way out in different ways, but at root level, that's what they must all believe that they will be found on the last day in their own righteousness and that things will go well for them. That's how Paul once thought. They look at the law of God and they, they, they say, I can do that. I can fulfill this. They hear the Ten Commandments. I'm, I'll do a pretty good job of this. 
I'll be found in my own righteousness, thank you very much, and things will be okay. I will appear, I will appear before God and be, be found in my own works of the law, my own righteousness that comes from obeying the law. Now, of course, this is a perverted view, because no matter what kind of righteousness you bring, it will always be a righteousness that comes from something altogether unholy. It will always be that which is why scripture describes that kind of righteousness as filthy rags and as garbage. We've already determined that that kind of righteousness is worthless. Now what faith does, the faith that is mentioned here, the righteousness from God that comes by faith, that faith that is mentioned here at the end of this birth, this verse, when the Spirit gives you a new heart to believe in Christ, to trust in him, What that faith does is it causes you to receive and to rest upon Christ for salvation. This faith that you're given by the Spirit causes you to embrace Christ and all that he is and all that he has. That is what faith does for you. And as you do that, as you are given faith, a new heart to do that, what happens? You completely let go of everything else. All things. Everything that you thought was gain, you completely let that go and fully embrace Christ and all that he is and all that he has for you. That is what faith does for you. And then you receive the only kind of righteousness that is accepted by God. It is the righteousness from God. (laughs) What righteousness will God accept? Well, it's not your righteousness. Is there a righteousness that God accepts? It's the righteousness that he gives the righteousness from God, and thus a holy righteousness. And it's yours by faith. It is accounted to you. It's credited to your account. Faith in Christ causes you to let go of having your own righteousness. And now that your hands are empty, you take hold by faith of another righteousness, another righteousness that is of a completely different character altogether than the one that you were holding on to. It is not your own. The righteousness that you are in possession of now is perfect. It's holy. It's unstained. It's not filthy. It's white as snow. It's pure. It's sinless. That kind of righteousness. And then through this new righteousness that you actually have with in Christ, you can actually have true loving fellowship with the Holy an infinitely righteous God. And so the problem is solved. How can unholy people have loving fellowship with a holy, righteous God? It's impossible, according to man. But with God, all things are possible. Now you might think at this point, again, well, again, how... but. How is that possible? How how is it that God can just give us a perfect sinless righteousness that renders us righteous, truly righteous in God's sight and innocent? No mere man since the fall has this kind of righteousness. And that is true. None are righteous. All have fallen short of God's glory. But the only place, the place where you will find this, the only place under heaven where you can find perfect righteousness such as this, to know God, to be accepted by him. The only place where you can find a righteousness like this 
is in a man who was not just a man. That which comes through, and by no other means, faith in Christ. That is the only solution, and that is the only place where you will find that kind of righteousness. It is in no one else, and it can be found nowhere else. This Christ, who was found in human form, became man. This is the one in whom Paul would be found, that I might gain Christ and be found in him. This was true for Paul. This is true for us, every believer. By faith, you have been given Christ and everything that he has and everything that he has done for you to save you. He is the one in whom we will be found. He is the one in whom our lives are presently hidden. That is where we find our true identity, friends, is in him. We'll be found in him, and today we are in him. Our lives are hidden in him. They're defined by him. They're characterized by him. That is who we are, and that is who we will be into eternity. And therefore, friends, remember this. Remember this. To lay hold of Christ by faith is to take hold of the righteousness that comes from God. That righteousness that renders you, in the eyes of God, innocent and accepted as righteous. That is one benefit that God gives you in Jesus Christ. It is a righteousness that was outside of us, but now through faith in Christ has been imputed to us, credited to our account, so that we are now justified, and we will be then publicly justified. Now this justification, friends, that we have in Christ, this is also important to remember. This is something that we touched upon last week and even in the, in the previous week before that. This justification that you have as a believer in Christ, it cannot be increased and it cannot be diminished. It is equal in all believers. It can never be taken away. It can never be overturned. That is Scripture's pronouncement about this. It can never be increased, never diminished, and never taken away. It is something that we all share together and we all share equally. That which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now there are other benefits of salvation, of course. This this isn't all that Christ gives us. Justification is one benefit. And it's proper to distinguish it from the other benefits, but we should never separate them. To do so would mean to separate Christ. When we appropriate Christ by faith, we receive the whole Christ, not just parts of him, all of him. So Paul does not separate them here, which is why we are, taking, we are distinguishing them here. But we, we can also see that Paul doesn't separate them here. He groups them all together as part of what it means to gain Christ. And so next time, Lord willing we will look at the other great benefit, the benefit of sanctification that we have in Christ. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forever. Let's pray together, friends.